Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you have your Bibles, make your way to John chapter 4. Make your way to John chapter 4 this morning. And last week we dove into a study, a series, where we're going to be exploring uh, evangelism and discipleship. So part of our, uh, our main initiative for 2020 as a church is that every member of Rocky Valley Baptist Church would be plugged into a discipleship group, into a small group uh, of some kind. And so we're going to be talking about why. Why is it so important that we plug into discipleship? And the simple fact of the matter is that when Jesus called the first discipleship group together, he didn't call it together to be a fellowship group. He didn't call it together even to be a study group. He didn't call it together for any other purpose. But he said this when he called his first disciples, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He called the first discipleship group together with the intention of that small group would then multiply by sharing his gospel throughout the world. So there's no way that we can talk about discipleship if we don't talk about evangelism and vice versa. There's no way we can talk about evangelism if we're not going to talk about discipleship because in the Great Commission, God did not give us the command to go out and make converts. He didn't give us the command to go out and make candidates for baptism. No, he said, go out and make disciples. And so one and the other are hand in hand, they go together, and so we have to talk about them together if we're going to talk about either of them, we have to talk about them together. So we're starting out by looking at evangelism. Last week we said, why do we need evangelism? Why is it necessary that a Christian evangelize? And why should I share the gospel? In fact, we said, why must I share the gospel? Not why should I, but why must I if I am a believer? And quite simply put, we must share the gospel because the world needs the gospel. Right, And we, for some reason, God in his sovereignty and his all-knowing, all-powerful nature decided that the church would be the method by which his gospel is shared. Now, I don't know why God chose that, but I know that God chose that. And so if that is the method in which he prescribed that his name would be spread into the corners of the earth, then it is our responsibility to heed that call that God has placed on our lives. So if you are a believer, you have been called to share the gospel, right? And so we said, why must we share the gospel? And so in light of that, I said, okay, if we must share the gospel, the next logical step in this would be that we would look at how we share the gospel, right? So Why we have to and how, that's what we're going to talk about this morning is how. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a time when Michael Jordan was the creme de la creme when it came to basketball. All right, now some of you young folks, you may be thinking about Steph Curry or LeBron James or or even Kobe Bryant given the latest situation. But can I just tell you something? Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, all of them, when they describe them, they say they are the next Jordan, right? Because Jordan was the man, all right? Jordan would get the basketball and he'd do three or four crossovers. He'd hang his tongue out to about his chin. He'd take off from about the free throw line. He'd slam that ball down every time. And I'd come up out of my seat just ready to go because Jordan was the man. So when I thought I wanted to be a basketball player, guess who I tried to emulate? Y'all ain't buying it, are you? I didn't say who did I emulate. I said who did I try 
to emulate. I tried to emulate the best, right? I wanted to be like Jordan because if I could be like Jordan, I was going to be the best. You see where I'm going with this? If we're going to talk about how do we share the gospel, shouldn't we go back to the best that ever did it? Amen. We have a story. We have several places in Scripture, but we're going to look at one this morning where Jesus shares Jesus. And if I'm going to share Jesus, maybe I ought to do it like Jesus did it. Amen. And so in light of that, I want to ask you to stand this morning in honor and reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God from John chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 1 and we'll kind of skip around a little bit. Uh, But we're on this subject, evangelism, Jesus style. John chapter 4. Therefore, When the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. And so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well It was about the sixth hour. I want you to skip forward with me to verse 21. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for what you've already done in your house. And Father, we praise you for what you're about to do. Father, we pray if there be any devil, any demon... Father, any spirit, Father, any thought that is not held captive by your Holy Spirit, Father, would you remove any distraction at this time for your, from your house so that for the next few moments together we would worship you completely through the study of your word. Father, be glorified in all we do because yours is the only name worthy of our praise and yours is the only name worthy of our worship. It's in your precious name that we pray, Jesus, as all of God's children said. Amen. Please be seated. So as we get going this morning, we're going to look at this story and kind of set the stage about where we are. Now back in chapter 2 of John's gospel, we find that Jesus starts out chapter 2 in Cana of Galilee, turning the water into wine, and this is his first public miracle. This is the first time that he kind of displays that he is the Messiah in, in public. And so they immediately leave that. And I don't know about you guys, but if I just performed a miracle, I'd want to hang around and revel in my glory for a minute. But Jesus said, all right, we just performed a miracle. Time for us to get going because he had to get to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And so he makes his way there to the feast of the Passover. And while he's in Jerusalem, he has a visitor. Now we've gotten there to about John chapter 3 by now. And, John, and Jesus gets a visitor and it's in, the, it's in the darkness of night that old Nicodemus comes to see Jesus and he begins to question him because Nicodemus has seen what Jesus is doing. He's heard how Jesus is teaching and he's witnessed all of these things and everything that Nicodemus has learned in his life as a Pharisee is being shattered right here by Jesus. So he goes at night because he don't want nobody to see him. He don't want to mess nothing up with what he's got going. But he goes at night and this is when Jesus gives him uh, the famous verse, we all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gives Nicodemus all of these truths, talks about being born again, Nicodemus just can't get his brain around it, right? 
and he goes away having not trusted yet in Christ, but that seed by Jesus had been planted. Now, here's the thing. If Nicodemus knew about it as a Pharisee, there were lots of other Pharisees that had heard about it. And then lo and behold, John, the Baptist, the baptizer, begins to pronounce Jesus out where he's at in the wilderness that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one we've waited for. And so here we have this thing going on where Jesus is being made a big deal out of before Jesus is ready to be made a big deal out of. Does that make sense? Uh, So Jesus is sitting there in Jerusalem, and there's going to be a standoff with the Pharisees. Now, we know that was going to come about three years later, and it was going to end on a cross. But Jesus said, listen, it's not time for me to do that yet. So he goes back to Cana of Galilee. He said, listen, i got to make my way out of Jerusalem. If I stay here, I'm going to turn this town upside down. Amen that we would be so dialed in serving Jesus that we would have to say, man, if I stay here, I'm going to turn this town upside down. Not in a bad way. I'm going to turn it upside down for Jesus. We'll get there in a minute, though. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem, and he's going to Cana of Galilee. And it brings us to our first point this morning. I know you're thinking, God, he's already preached 10 minutes. He ain't got the first point yet. That's okay. You can't go nowhere till I say amen. So you'll miss these guys' last song if you do. Our first point this morning is this. There's an intentional purpose of Jesus. Let's look at the intentional purpose of Jesus. First thing we're going to look at is the location where he went. Now look with me at verse 4. Look with me at verse 4. It says, but he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. Now if you just read that sentence, you just read that verse, you move on to to verse 5, and you don't really think anything about it. But the simple fact of the matter is if you read verse 4 in the context of what's going on, you realize verse 4 is one of the most profound statements in all of this story. Because the fact of the matter is Samaria was a region and a place, and it was located conveniently between Jerusalem and Galilee, okay? So to get from one to the other, the most direct route would be to go through Samaria. But the thing is that the Jewish people would follow the River Jordan as it flowed around the region of Samaria. Now, there were a couple of reasons why they did this. One, uh, the riverland was easier to walk. And so it would have been a more clear path, an easier uh, path. And the fact of the matter was they didn't go want to go up through the hilly land and the terrain of Samaria. So one, it was easy. Two, there was a lot of crime that went on if you walked from Jerusalem to Galilee straight through Samaria. You would, you would run into a lot of risk. Why? And this is the biggest reason, because the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Okay, The Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans as if they were lesser people. They looked down on them as a curse and a scourge on the earth. And they, listen to this, they were so proud of their Jewish heritage that they wouldn't step on Samaritan dirt. They didn't want to walk where a Samaritan had walked. Now, as a result, guess what the Samaritans thought about the Jews? They said, we don't like them very much, so if one comes traveling through my town, I'm going to rob them, right? Because they look down on me, they think I'm lesser, so we're going to do these. So there were all these reasons why Jesus wouldn't want to go through Samaria, right? He's not going to want to go through this. He goes from Jerusalem to, to Galilee, Samaria is the worst path that he could have taken. It's dangerous, it's rough, and, 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 there's, and there's Samaritans. And Jesus being a rabbi, why would a rabbi want to be where the unclean was? But Jesus makes this statement. He said, I need to go through Samaria. I need to go through Samaria. So one thing I thought that was interesting. Within that group of words, there's, there's this smaller uh, group of words in there that I think really paints the picture as to what Jesus is doing. Those words, when you read verse 4, it says, but he needed to go through, needed to go through. That phrase literally directly translates, I need to go about the region spreading myself completely. Woo! 
What did I just say? Why did Jesus need to go to Samaria? He needed to go that he might spread completely. What's he spreading? He's spreading his own story. Right? I need to go to Samaria that I might spread the gospel. I might spread the story of me. People in Samaria need to hear about me. So I need to go there and tell them. Because if I don't go there and tell them, they're not going to hear it. Nobody else wants to go there. Nobody else wants to be there. I've got to go there if they're going to hear about it. That's the reason that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Not geographically. It didn't make sense for any other way other than he needed to be there that his story might be spread in that region. But he wasn't going to go there at any time, right? So, So he had this intentional location, but he also had this intentional timing. Uh, Look forward with me to verse 6. It says, Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus goes to the well, but he waits until the sixth hour to go there. Now what is significant about that? Why did he choose this time? Well, the sixth hour would have been exactly the middle of the daylight portion of the day in that time. So they would have calculated their days as the 12 hours from daylight to dark, basically. And so the sixth hour would be right dead middle of the daylight time. So it's what we would call high noon, basically. What happens in the Middle Eastern sun at high noon? It's hot, right? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I used to work in the construction industry. And when it was really hot in the summer, we'd wake up really early and go to work. Now, my my former boss is here. He'd say we'd wake up really early and go to the job site. But we would wake up really early, and we would go to work, and the idea was that we would beat the heat, right? We want to get out and get something done before it gets so miserably hot that we can't get anything done. Well, guess what? The ladies would go and draw water from the well. They had the same understanding. So they would go about the third hour normally and gather the water from the well because the sun wouldn't be all the way up in the sky yet. But yet Jesus goes at the sixth hour in the most difficult time of the day, the hottest part of the day when the sun is the highest in the sky, right there in the middle of the day. And why did he go there at this time? Because he wasn't just going there for water. He was going there for a sinner. He was going there to meet this particular woman at this particular time. And Jesus knew that she would be there at this time. Now, why did she go there at this time? Well, we're going to learn later because she was a sinner. We'll just put it quite plainly. She was a sinner. Not only was she your average sinner, she'd have five husbands. And the man she was living with now wasn't even her husband. So the other Jewish women would have sneered at her, would have jeered at her, would have looked down at her, would have had, even the Samaritan women would have said, gosh, among Samaritans, you ain't nothing, woman. And they would have looked down on her. So she would just go in the middle of the day when nobody was there so that she didn't have to be looked down upon, right? She was going there for that reason. And lo and behold, Jesus goes to this intentional location at this intentional time to serve an intentional purpose. Now, surely you don't need much pride to see the application here as we start this text. If we're going to go about sharing Jesus the way that he shared his own story, we're not going to get it done by just simply waiting on happenstance to occur, are we? We're not going to get it done by sitting back saying, I tell you what, it'll be about like me coming over to my office this week and saying, I tell you what, if somebody comes in here and opens that locked door, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. What do you think the odds are that somebody's going to come in my locked door and I'm going to get a chance to tell them about Jesus? Could it happen? Sure. Sure. If it happens, I'm probably going to be so nervous about how they got in the locked door, I'm going to forget to tell them about Jesus, right? 
But it'd be like me going to my office and saying, you know, if somebody wanders through here, then, then that's, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. But if they don't come through here, then that must mean God doesn't want me to tell nobody today. Because he didn't provide for me this opportunity. Are you kidding me? He gave you two legs, two arms, a brain, and a mouth. And you're going to tell me you got to sit at your house and wait on somebody to come by and ask to hear about Jesus? Absolutely not. That don't make no sense. That don't make no sense at all. Jesus said, church, it's time that we go with an intentional pursuit to share the gospel with somebody. It's time that we go with a white hot passion that we would see someone and that we would tell them about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time that we need to be ready in any season. Scripture commands us to be ready in any season to share the gospel. Yes, there are times when you may be sitting at the Starbucks and a lost soul may wander in and sit beside you and tell you they need to talk about Jesus and you need to be ready at that time. But for the most part, my experience with evangelism has not been that it's fell into my lap. It's been that I had to have an intentional desire to go out and share Jesus and go out and tell somebody about Jesus. We spend far too much time with our heads in the sand pretending that there's not a great need there to share the gospel. Or even better, this is my favorite one in today's day and age. I'm going to be relevant for a minute. And y'all know me, I'm, I'm always seeking to be culturally relevant. We take to Facebook or the Twitter or the Snapagram, one of them, with our social injustice cries, don't we? Man, we can rally around some Jesus on Facebook. We can rally around that, that theme on Facebook, can't we? Can you believe they said that? Here, let me tell them about Jesus right here on the Facebook. Can I tell you something? This is my favorite statement. Hang on. When Jesus was in schools, crime wasn't. You think because they said you can't publicly pray with a teacher leading it, Jesus is not in the school anymore? The problem is not whether we let the kids pray in school. It's whether we pray with them before we send them to school. The problem is not whether they let us teach the Bible in first period. The problem is whether we teach them the Bible at home before we send them there. Right? Let's, be, let, let's take a little bit of responsibility for our own actions, church. The simple fact of the matter is you can take prayer out of whatever you want to take it out of, but if you do a good job as the church of sharing Jesus, you still got prayer in schools. Do you know that I pray every week in some school in this county before school starts with a group of kids? I ain't been fired yet, and the principals ain't been run off yet. Why? Because you're just willing to go and do it, right? But the simple fact of the matter is we want to get all up in arms about all of these social injustices or all of these perceived injustices that we have, and yet we don't want to do the one thing that God says we can do to make a difference, and that is spread his gospel. You want to know why the world is falling apart is because we quit telling them about Jesus. Because we got satisfied with the number of people that were in our pews and said, that's good enough. And quit going out to bring people in. We got satisfied with what we had going on and quit going to tell us. We got satisfied with the fact that we were saved and quit being intentional to go save somebody else. Listen, I don't have the ability to save anybody to begin with, so I can't use that as an excuse. The best thing I got is to tell them about Jesus and let Jesus save them. But the Bible says I'm to keep sowing my seeds. I'm not supposed to let the soil determine whether I sow the seed or not. 
I'm not supposed to try to decide whether or not the grace of Jesus is going to cover their sins, whether or not they're going to repent, whether or not they're going to... Guess what? By not telling them, I'm trying to decide for them. My job's to tell them. And we got to be intentional about going back and telling them the intentional purpose of Jesus. But now let's look at the next thing, the innumerable problems of the sinner. Let's look at the innumerable problems of the sinner. We're going to look at several problems that this lady had going on, and she's known simply in Scripture as the Samaritan woman at the well. And the first one that we're going to look at is verse 9. Look with me at verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus is at the well. He says, Hey, give me a drink. Give me a drink. And right away, the first problem she presents to hearing the gospel from Jesus is her heritage. She says that my heritage is a hindrance to me hearing the gospel. What does she say? How can you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Listen, dude, maybe you're tired. It's the middle of the day. You look like you've had a long journey. You're dirty from the road. And maybe you ain't picking up what I'm putting down. But I am a Samaritan, young man. And Jews and Samaritans don't mix. How are you going to ask me for a drink? If I gave it to you, you would tell me it was unclean because I drew it for you. How in the world are you going to do this? And look what Jesus does, though. Jesus hears her problem. And he doesn't say, woman, are you crazy? I'm Jesus. They could have, couldn't he? Woman, are you nuts? I'm Jesus. But no, that's not what he does. He hears her problem. And he begins to, to preach to her a little bit. He begins to build a relationship with her as he's evangelizing. He begins to build a little relationship with her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. In other words, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. Listen, if you knew who you was talking to, ma'am, you would have asked me for what I have to offer instead of me asking you. That word for living water literally means the refreshing gift of eternal life. He says, if you would have just known that your Savior was in front of you, you would have asked me for salvation. That's basically what Jesus says. You see me only as a Jewish man. You only see what you see. And you think that I only see what I see. But you don't perceive the truth of the matter that what you seek is right here in front of you. And then, hey, just like evangelism, right? First problem is presented. Anybody anybody ever gone to share the gospel and somebody presented a problem to them right off the bat? A reason why for some reason the gospel ain't good enough for them? Of course, right? So what does Jesus do? Well, he gets through the first problem, and we get to verse 12, and guess what? She's got another problem. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Right? The next problem she presents is her tradition. She said, my heritage, just how I was born, how I was born, Jesus, that makes me unable to, to, to convene with you today. And the next problem she presents, she said, listen, because of the traditions, all of the things that I am and all of the things that I've done. He says, listen, Jacob was a patriarch. Are you more important than him? Jacob was one of the true uh, Old Testament prophets and one of the true heroes of the faith. And you're going to come here as a Jewish man and tell me that you are more important than him? That you have water that's better than the water that's in his well? Uh, She had all of her traditions. And notice Jesus again, he doesn't say Ma'am, you're not getting this just yet. I'm Jesus. And again, he could have. Right? He's Jesus. That could have been enough. But he keeps on building this relationship here. And he says what? 
Man, the thing about your tradition, you can draw water from this well today, but you'll be back tomorrow because you'll be thirsty again. In other words, you can keep on keeping on with all of your tradition, and it's never going to satisfy your soul. Mm. Mm. Let that sink in for a minute, what Jesus is really saying. Think about the culture, right? What was the main hang-up in the Jewish culture? Their tradition, right? They were the chosen people of God. They had the law of Moses, and they believed if you obeyed the law correctly, you could reconcile yourself to God, that suddenly you were going to be there. And so she says, listen, by the tradition, this is Jacob's well. You got something to offer that we can't get from the tradition? And Jesus says, I got something far better than from the tradition that you're coming to every day. In fact, if you drag yourself into the if you if you come before God with nothing but your perfection of the law, you can come every single day and never satisfy your debt to God. Can I tell you something? How many people in our churches and in our culture today have been so busy trying to check enough boxes to be made right with God? How many people have tried to check enough? How many times have we gone to somebody and said, listen, I've got good news about Jesus Christ. And they say, guess what? My, my mama, my mama was baptized in that church. How many people have told me that? If everybody's telling me the truth, do you know how many people have been baptized in Rocky Valley Baptist Church? There's at least 3,807,000 people whose mama was baptized at Rocky Valley Baptist Church. Praise God for it. Where are they at? Where are they at? Even if they did get baptized, they didn't get regenerated because they're not anywhere serving God. They're not anywhere following God. They're not anywhere being discipled. Somewhere we missed a step. And Jesus says all of your, listen, you can go to church, you can go to, to mass, you can go to do all of these things, but if you ain't got Jesus, you ain't got living water. All of the tradition that you got is just going to hold you down. It's the reason that Paul writes in Galatians that the law, the law of Moses, what was it given? It was given that we might understand that we can't be good enough and that we need the grace of Jesus in order to be saved. So the second problem she had was tradition. And so she's hearing Jesus, but she really isn't getting it just yet. But now she realizes there's something going on. This is a cool part of the story to me. Because at first she was just hearing what Jesus said. And now she's starting to perceive that there is more to this guy. Right? There's more to this guy, but she doesn't yet understand that he's the Messiah. And so Jesus, as he realizes that she's thinking about her physical needs, Jesus says, I need to paint you a picture of your spiritual needs. Because the next thing he says, he says what? Go and call your husband. Jesus knew what was going on, right? But he says, go and call your husband. And really what he's doing is he's pointing out to her that you have more of a need than water. And the next problem we see for her is the problem of her sin. And I believe, now again, mo most of you know me. You know that my ADDDHD kicks in sometimes. And I see things in pictures. Like when I study, I got to take a minute and walk around the church and look at every door that don't close right, and I start to see these pictures in my head. And I just see this lady at this well in Samaria with this man asking her for water who should never ask her for water, who's starting to talk to her about living water, who's starting to talk to her about eternal life, who's starting to talk to her about her tradition, who's starting to open her eyes to all of these things. And then suddenly, this guy says, go and call your husband. Now, at this point, she doesn't know that he knows. 
But she knows that she knows, right? And I can't help but imagine that there was a moment of silence as she pondered, what do I say here? Do I walk away and say, okay, and pretend that I can go and call my husband, or do I tell this guy the truth? And she honestly replies, I have no husband, and I love what Jesus says to her next. It's verse 17. You have said, well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Jesus says, ma'am, your problem is not that you were born a Samaritan. Your problem is not that you have all of your traditions. Your problem is that you're a sinner. You don't need a Savior because you're Samaritan. You don't need a Savior because you were born here. You need a Savior because you're a sinner. If you'll notice with me, she has many of the same problems we run into when we share the gospel with people today. They feel like they aren't good enough to come to Christ because of how they were born. Maybe they feel like they've already been good enough. Surely to goodness, God already loves me, right? Surely to goodness, I got this going for me. But Jesus brings up the one problem that none of us have an answer for, and it's the one problem that we all have in common, right? He said, ma'am, you're a sinner. As you stand here at this well, you are a sinner. Your problem isn't your thirst. Your problem isn't your wells. Your problem isn't your traditions. Your problem is your sin. And church, I'm afraid, I am firmly afraid that if being intentional enough to share the gospel is our primary problem, Our secondary problem may very well be that when we get opportunity to share the gospel, we fail to tell people that they're sinners. Let me say that again. I'm afraid that we're afraid when we get an opportunity to share the gospel, we're afraid to tell people that they're sinners. What are we afraid of? Afraid they don't want to hear it? Nobody wants to hear they're a sinner. But can I tell you something else? Nobody, nobody, nobody understands what it means to be healed until they know what they're sick from. I can't understand what the grace of Jesus means until I understand that I'm a sinner and I stand in need of His grace because if somebody doesn't paint me a picture to help me realize that my problem is that I'm a sinner and my problem is that I'm hell-bound and my problem is that I need a Savior, then I'm not going to understand what it means to be saved in the first place. I'm not going to understand what unmerited favor is unless I understand why I don't merit it. That makes sense? If you don't paint a picture that our sin has separated us from a holy God, then why in the world does Jesus being the reconciler make any difference? Again, I used the example last week, but it plays out perfectly. If I walked into the doctor Tuesday morning, he patted me on the back and said, Good news, your cancer is gone. Me having no knowledge that I'd ever had cancer wouldn't know how to appreciate that. But if I'd battled cancer for nine months and it'd been looking bad and suddenly I'd been healed, I would understand what a miraculous healing that was. So we have to paint a picture that the problem is sin. And all of the other things that people throw up, you know what those are? Symptoms. They're symptoms of the sickness. Well, I got this problem, Brother Jason. I understand that. Your bigger problem is sin. Right? We have to be able to paint that picture. And at the end of the day, are you afraid they're not going to like you? Are you afraid that they're just going to suddenly decide they don't like you? Listen, I I have shared the gospel with people. I I made it a personal challenge to do it at Starbucks. Okay? 
And so I went to Starbucks every Wednesday for about six or eight months in a row. And I just talked about Jesus with whatever poor soul sat down at the table with me. Now, I didn't reach over to him and go, are you saved? Let me tell you about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I just started talking to him. I told him I was a pastor. I told him where I was from. I asked him about their faith. And you know what? I ran into some people. I had some really good conversations about, about Jesus with people who already were, were believers. I had some really good conversations with people who weren't. But you know what I never had? I didn't have any of them pull a gun and hit me in the head with it. The meanest thing anybody said to me is, I don't believe in that crap. I'm going to go sit over here. I said, that's okay. I'm going to stay right here, and I'm going to tell the next person that sits down about Jesus. But you know what? I would rather have somebody not like me for telling them the truth than have somebody love me for telling them a lie. It's not my job to fluff it up. My job is to tell them the truth, and the truth is that you're a sinner, and apart from Jesus, you're going to die in your sin and pay your own debt for it. And Jesus had to die on a cross to bear your sin. And you'll suffer for eternity trying to bear your own. The intentional purpose of Jesus. The innumerable problems of the sinner. And finally, as we close this morning, the incredible pardon of the Savior. The incredible pardon of the Savior. For the sake of time, we'll move forward to verse 25. Then the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You see, she has her problems, right? She's had her problems. She's had her reasons why she can't commune with Jesus right here at the well. She's had all of these barriers, all of these walls that she's put up. And that's what they are. When we go to share the gospel, you're going to run into walls. You're going to run into barriers. And that's what's happening right here. She even had another problem she talked about. She said, wait a minute, I'm only supposed to worship in Jerusalem. That's who you people say. That's where we're supposed to go. And Jesus says, well, let me shoot that in the foot. He says, you ain't got to go to Jerusalem to worship. In fact, you ain't even got to go up on this mountain to worship like your people believe. In fact, anywhere you are, that's where you worship. Anywhere you are, that's where you worship. Why? Because I'm busting down all of those barriers. I'm busting down all of those traditions. And wherever you are, you worship. What matters is that you worship in spirit and in truth. That you worship fully the God who made you and the God created you. And she says, listen, listen, I understand that when the Messiah comes, that's when, that's when all things are going to be known. And Jesus simply says, that's me. Ma'am, the one that you're standing here with, the one you've been talking to, is the Messiah you've been looking for. Now, none of us are cool enough that when we share the gospel, we can say, that's me, Right? But we are cool enough, you know what we can say? That one you've been seeking, that's Jesus. We can say the same thing he said, we just aren't him. The one you've been seeking, that's Jesus. The problems you've brought up, the one who can fix them, that's Jesus. The addictions you battle, the one who can free you, that's Jesus. The sin that ensnares you, the one that can free you, that's Jesus. The, one, the, the, the problem you have that you've been identifying yourself with, the one who can free you from that and give you a new identity is Jesus. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. My favorite song. Oh, that's my favorite song. Why? Because I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I come to the table Golly, I come to the table with a plethora of bad. 
I'm going to tell you, I tried my best to mess up everything I could mess up. And I still mess up everything I can mess up. And you know what? In spite of that, I'm not known as, as my failures. I'm not known by my mistakes. I, you may recognize me. If I've ever done you wrong, I'm sorry. And that may be how you think of me. But you know what God says about me? He says, I'm his child. I don't have to bear that scarlet A on my chest. I don't have to bear the identity that, that the world gives me. I bear the identity of a child of the king. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. When God looks at me, in spite of all of my failures that I spent 30 years piling up, he sees Jesus, his perfect life, and his atonement for my sins. And because of that, no matter what, any, listen, I've heard people say, look, I'm scared, I don't, I don't know about sharing Jesus, man. What if they tell me something I don't know? You got the answer. The answer is Jesus. What if they ask me a tough question? You got the answer. The answer is Jesus. What about a little humility in there? They ask you one you don't know. Say, listen, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I have been set free by Jesus. One of my very favorite verses. You guys should remember it by now. If you don't, you will. Why do we just simply say Jesus? Because there is but one name under heaven given among men. By which we are saved. Your answer to the question ain't going to save them. But Jesus can. No matter how intelligent. You, you, listen. You can come up with an 11 page dissertation. About the Greek participle of the word I. If you want to. That ain't going to be what causes somebody to be saved. The name of Jesus. Is the name that they're going to have to cry out. In order to get saved. Tell them that. Start with that. Find the answers to the rest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here and be present in your house. Father God, we thank you for the example that we see in Scripture that, that God, the, the one who spoke everything into existence, came to live on this earth. When the Creator became the creation in the form of Jesus, you had... All knowledge, you had all power. You could have shared the gospel any which way you wanted to. Father, you could have snapped your fingers and made it happen. You could have explained it in some great depth, but you simply said salvation comes through Jesus. So, Father, you had a simple message. All throughout the New Testament, it was a simple message. And, Father, it is the same simple message today. That Jesus died, that sinners would be set free. Would you create in us a white hot passion to share your gospel with someone? Father, many of us last week wrote down one name on a piece of paper. We wrote down one name and said, I'm going to pursue opportunities to pray for this person and share Jesus with him. Father, would you renew in us that passion that we had just one week ago? That we would still have it burning inside of us, Father. And Father, as we come before you to this time of response. Father, my prayer is if there be one here who's never accepted you as their Savior, who's never surrendered their life to you completely. Father, would you, would you just prick their heart this morning? Let them know that their sin has earned them death, but your grace has given them life. And let them come forward and let us begin to talk about what it means to be saved. 
Father, for your people, for the believers that are here, Father, for your church. Father, I believe there's somebody here who says, listen, I don't share Jesus. I've been scared. I've never been bold. Who needs to come and pray for boldness? Who needs to come and pray for that lost person that they wrote down last week? Who needs to come and pray for their family member, their co-worker, that they would have opportunity to share you with them? Give us the boldness to stand and say, there's but one name under heaven by which men are saved, and that name is Jesus. God will give you the glory. For it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Please stand. Please. again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.